0: think that when someone say that SEO is dead, I really think that it just means that some people might not be willing to change depending on how Google really evolved. Google reimagine the search experience for their users I think uh, a lot of the time when Google introduces new features or new search features or new policy it will always takes a little while for people to really understand what is the directions that Google search is going towards and being able to uh, come up with an idea or a strategy to really respond to the um, to respond to that uh, directions right I think being an SEO and being in a very very competitive you know uh, industry industry and an ever-changing one thanks to Google. The successful SEO that I see is always, you know, willing to really continue to learn, or willing to to change based on you know what they see are changing in the market and willing to continue to experiments and see what works and what doesn't.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Nam Le. Nam is a senior growth manager leading SEO, organic growth, and website strategy at Rippling. And before Rippling, Nam spent time working on SEO and product at Wayfair, an e-commerce furniture brand, and Snagajob, the job search platform. In our episode today, I'm excited to learn more about the work he is doing at Rippling, his previous experience working on the incredible SEO team at Wayfair, setting KPIs, content strategy, and more. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. At Positional, we're building tools for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a great selection of tools for everything from content optimization to keyword research and technical SEO. And you can visit our website at positional.com. Nam, thank you so much for coming on the episode today.
0: Hi Nate, glad to be here.
1: So you've worked on some incredible teams and I know like you've been in SEO for a number of years now. How did you first make your way into the world of content marketing and organic search?
0: That is a, a story that I always love to tell. So when I was in college uh, and I was doing an internship in the summer between my junior year and senior year, at that point I had zero clue what SEO is. I barely knew what digital marketing was. Uh, I went on Quora, I remember when that was the thing. And then I start asking people, oh, do you have an advice for somebody who wants to get into digital marketing, right? And then a guy uh, responded to the Quora questions, asked me if they want to shadow him and learn more about search engine optimizations. So I spent the next two or three months just sort of like, you know, learn from him, learn about all the Google algorithms, uh, learn about all the SEO techniques. And then after that summer, I went back to school, start working on some of the smaller websites just to hone my skills in SEO and digital marketing in general. And then after that, after graduate from college, uh, I started out at an agency, got a year of experience, learned a lot more about SEO and content marketing. And then about a year or two later, I ended up Uh, starting a role uh, at Wayfair. So, and the rest was history.
1: And Wayfair, they're known for having an incredible SEO and content marketing function. And I know it's been like a core part of their business since the inception. What was it like working on that team? Like what were some of those big learnings that you had being part of that incredible SEO function?
0: It was a an incredible experience. And you know, I I, I say this a lot of times, I attribute a lot of my you know, you know current success and career growth to my start at Wayfair. I think one of the thing uh, this and this is one of the things that I mentioned in my recent LinkedIn post is that it's not really about the exact things you do uh, in SEO at Wayfair, but it's about the way way and the mindset that they approach anything in seo so it's famously said that they didn't really just follow seo best practices they challenged them and then they continue to test and experiment and see what works for their website and what works for their vertical so i think that is probably the biggest thing that i learned from the time there at wayfair and the th- second thing that i think was Sort of my career highlights at Wayfair was just that ownership mindset that everyone on the team has, right? So people would often come up with ideas or come up with an experiments and just run with it, and you are encouraged to run with it. There's no idea that is too small, or there's no idea that is too big, and everybody and everybody is encouraged to just push beyond their limits and boundaries. And that's what I really love about working on the team
1: there. Yeah, I think as SEOs, we can often fall into like the cookie cutter way to do things or best practices. And so that's interesting that you said that, you know, Wayfair pushed the limits at times and and challenged some of those like universally accepted best practices in SEO. Do you have like one or two examples where like, you know, Wayfair might have, you know, pushed the strategy in an unconventional way and it ultimately ended up working for them?
0: For sure. I think one of the things that a lot of people have been just kind of like assume about SEO is particularly around meta descriptions, right? Uh, it doesn't really drive the keywords, it doesn't really drive the rankings. However, with, with Wayfair, we ran, I got to say like hundreds of, of meta description tests every year just to really uh, understand what is the messaging that really clicks with you know the shoppers, what is the messaging that really delivers the product. Promise that Wayfair makes to a customer, and a lot of the time with this media description test, what we learned was that just by really sending out the message about free shippings, the message about you know uh, the quality or the styles of the of the uh, offerings that we have, sometimes really clicks with searchers and customers. They ended up you know visiting the website a lot more, make more purchases, and the engagement from these Google visitors actually really sent signals to Google that you know uh, our website has a lot of uh, high-quality content, high-quality products, which in turn is actually really improved our SEO performance for these pages.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like by optimizing the meta descriptions, you may have had a positive impact on click-through rate from search, which could have then led to positive ranking and performance of those pages. But it also sounds like by optimizing your metas, you might have also had a positive impact on the user experience metrics like things like bounce rate scroll depth once someone already comes to the site is that accurate
0: for sure and i think this is something that i will say that we always sort of like have in the back of our mind is that we're not in the business of really trying to game the systems we're not trying to really like trick google into thinking we're the best we're here to serve our customers and by serving our customers and delight them with our experience uh or with the experience on our website we really send to a a signal to google that uh you know this is the website that people should be visiting
1: yeah and anytime you've got like thousands or tens of thousands of pages like a site like wayfair you can actually run like a lot of experiments on title tags and meta descriptions whereas if it's like a much smaller website there might just not be enough pages to actually go and and test and and build a sample on in your career like you've worked on both like b to c SEO teams. And you've also worked on like B2B SEO teams now in your role at Rippling. How is like SEO and content marketing been the same or different across like B2C SEO versus B2B SEO?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And this was one of the things that I was thinking about the most before I accepted my role at Rippling. So with both Wayfair and SnaggerJob is both, you know, e-commerce marketplace type of website where you can really scale the coverage of keywords you that you have, want to target and the things that people are searching for and you want to, to, to rank for those keywords. With B2C SEO, what I found that was extremely important was technical SEO. Oftentimes you have a hundred thousands, if not millions of pages. That you need to optimize, that you need to you know, build or generate, and oftentimes um, this leads to issues with crawlability, or sometimes page speed, or sometimes very you know complex internal linking systems. So those are the things that you want to make sure that are well optimized and are well taken care of in large scale websites. Now, when it comes to B2B uh, SEO, what I have found uh, over the past, you know, half a year working in B2B SEO with Rippling is that you know you put a lot more focus on trying to create really high quality contents that you know address your prospects and your potential customers' pain points. And really, really attracts them to our website, and then sell your products to address those pain points. So I think those has been the biggest, you know, difference uh, when I come from a B two C SEO background into a B two B background. And I, I, I gotta tell you, uh, is it feels pretty weird, but good not having to worry about oh, like all oh, these pages are not being crawled, all oh, these pages not being discovered by Google because we uh we, we're really, we we have about like, you know, thousands or a couple of thousands of pages compared to millions of pages that I have to work with before.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like the buyer journeys are very different. Like if it's a consumer, like and they're looking for a new sofa, like they might be ready to buy that new sofa today or tomorrow. And so you can convert them very quickly. But as you're thinking about like buyer journeys on the B2B side, oftentimes it's a lot more like nuanced. There might be many steps involved. So like in your current role at Rippling, like have you spent a lot of time thinking about like the buyer journey and then how content and SEO fits into that is that something you've thought about
0: for sure and I think that is probably another thing that uh, you know um, someone coming from a B2C background should be aware of so with a site like Wayfair or Snagajob people uh, the main pages are oftentimes the pages that target people who are already ready to make the conversions whether it is you know buying a sofa you said dining table or whether it is to apply for jobs uh, in the case of Snagajob whereas uh, Especially in B2B SaaS, the buying journey is oftentimes much longer than than people trying to buy uh, furniture. So you really have to think about it's not just user landing on your uh, a blog post from SEO and they will convert right away. They might read more things. They might check out more blog posts. They might check out contents. They might check out other pages that you have on the website that has nothing to do with you know SEO, but it's all part of your overall strategy to really uh, you know be there and address any customers and prospect concerns or questions throughout the buyer journey.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure at Rippling, there are many different like types of content you would create, maybe like a landing page or maybe a blog post or maybe like a feature page or for a specific product. How are you thinking about like the different types of content you're creating in like your B2B role? And what's most important to you right now? I
0: think, you know, uh, there's different ways to really think about like how different contents and, you know, page types fits into your SEO strategies. Uh, One of the ways you think about it is, you know, just throughout the funnel. If there is like, you know, top of funnels, contents or bottom funnel contents, a lot of people might agree with me with top of funnel contents. The whole goal of the content there is just to educate users or educate uh, prospects on, you know, the problem space that they're facing or the pain points are facing. And what are the potential solutions to that, right? So, uh, those pages usually really target like broader keywords, uh, broader topics, and, and we write a lot about those as well just to create the awareness about what rippling is and what sort of pain points we can solve for our customers Given that rippling is has just already been around for about seven or eight years at this point and then uh you know as a user progress through the funnel and understand more about the problem that they're facing the competitors you know the solution that is potentially can help them solve their problems we would have other contents that really helps with those sort of questions right how is rippling compare versus another competitor or, you know what are the features of rippling products um, that you know really set us apart so those would result in you know different sort of page types for example uh, we have product landing pages on the website we have comparison pages that really pit us against our competitors and really highlight like our our pros and our cons so really depending on what stage of the funnel a user is currently at we have different contents that is ready to really address those questions.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned before, like creating fantastic content, and I I think you've kind of very quickly walked us through like what a fantastic piece of content is and that it's helpful and actionable. But to take it a step further, like to you, like, what does it mean to create like a fantastic piece of content or a fantastic page at either Rippling or at any of your previous roles?
0: Yeah, so I think with Rippling, we are currently focusing on the HR, finance and IT space. And a lot of the problems that we have that our prospects or our ideal customers have is around, you know, just really being staying compliant with 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 hiring, with managing employees, with you know managing contractors. So we have sort of like an internal test within our SEO team is that if we ourselves read the contents and we're not learning something new that's not good enough to really push it out to for our visitors to see, right? Uh, because we want he, uh, we want to be here and we want to be able to deliver something that is unique, that is interesting and that is helpful for our visitors. So that's sort of like you know an internal test that we use to gauge whether the content that we are pushing out is really going to be moving the needle and is really something that we are proud to display on our website.
1: Yeah, I love that. It sounds like, you know, viewing your content from how is it uniquely helpful from what is already ranking, I think is a great benchmark and when we're creating a piece of content because too often and you just see like websites regurgitate the same crap over and over again or or even worse like ask chat gpt to write like a 2000 word blog post that's not saying anything fantastically new
0: for sure and i think that uh you know it helps us well that we use our own products right you know we manage global team we manage remote team we have contractors so we are deep into the products we use it every day use it to manage people we use it to pay contractors so we know all the pain points that somebody who you know might be interested in rippling would face in their daily roles that's why we're able to write contents that really resonate with our ICPs
1: yeah and speaking of the rippling product like it's been amazing to see like the number of product categories rippling has entered into we ourselves are rippling customers and i've seen it firsthand when i log into my rippling account like how many different features and functionalities like rippling as a platform has as you're thinking about like content and seo from here like as rippling builds out new features and capabilities to its platform do you then need to like keep up or are you getting ahead of it from like a content and seo standpoint
0: Rippling being a, what our founder and CEO call a compound startup, um, is really to, to me personally as, as an SEO person, a curse and a blessing at the same time. A curse in the sense that, you know, when I started out at Rippling, um, there is essentially zero SEO, uh, you know, strategy or zero SEO program to start. So, uh, essentially I have to start the, the whole, we have to start the whole program and the whole strategy from scratch. So with, Rippling being a compound startup, compound product, there is a lot of you know content gaps in terms of coverage and the things that we uh, already have contents around or things that we want to write about. And obviously, you know, resources are always limited, so there's only so many things that we can cover uh, the, uh, in a certain quarter, or there are things that we might have to like wait until the end of the year, for example. That's the curse, you know. The blessing in that is that the way that our products are, uh, you know, built and the way that our products are positions; they complement each other, right? Uh, you know, for example, somebody we really focus on the on the employees. So any employee data that your company has, we can leverage that to really build a product that serves not only on the payroll side, on the on the benefit side, but also we're able to manage the IT, the devices for that particular employees. Anything that we write about essentially has some elements that can be linked to another product, right? Uh, if we write about payroll, we can write about how you know our PEO service also really helps a lot of companies consolidate or streamline their, their payroll processings. So the blessing, like I said, is pretty much that products being complement to each other that gives a lot of natural linking and navigation opportunities with our content. And then it also allows us to really craft out very unique selling points, right? You don't need 10 or 20 different software to manage your workforce. You only need Rippling.
1: And you kind of hinted at it, like goal setting and KPIs. Like you mentioned that like Rippling's kind of now standing up in scaling and scaling an SEO and content channel. And in my career, I found that like goal setting and KPIs are, are very hard to do for like an SEO and content team. So like, how are you thinking about like the KPIs either for this quarter or for next year? Could you walk us through like your goal setting and, and KPI setting process at Rippling or, or even just in a general sense?
0: Sure, yeah. And I will say that I think KPI planning is nobody's favorite uh, things to do. Honestly, I think there is a lot of different moving parts within an organizations. You know, different conflicting interests, maybe at times. So it's really tricky sometimes to really set out a KPIs that you will stick with through the rest of your, you know, say career, Um, I think different business, different companies will call for, you know, tracking different things. For example, I mentioned in my blog post that SEO drives maybe like a little bit more than 50% of uh, marketing attribute revenues at at Wayfair. That really means that the thing that we keep track of uh, at Wayfair for SEO is super important because it really affects the revenue uh, bottom line for the company. So with with Wayfair, we will be tracking things like uh, not only SEO traffic, but also so the direct gross revenue stable that the seo team drives things like conversions um so people go into a website and buy a product the add to cart rate you know as like a measures of like how interactive users are with our product listings all things like you know just aov average order values so so things that is very typical for e-commerce team we, we snag a job since it's being a job search company we outside of the seo kpi usual the traffic stuff we really look into what website visitor, are they applying for jobs? Uh, are they showing interest in viewing different jobs? And then eventually like what are the actual jobs they apply to? So things that were really moving out, you know, revenues goal our target for the year with Rippling is actually even more interesting, and this is uh, coming back to like the B two C and B two B questions that we, we talked about at the beginning. With Rippling, outside of the SEO traffic, we also are measure on the ability of us to bring in sales qualified opportunities, which uh, eventually pipeline and then turns into IRR. Different companies I have found has different goals, different business goals which really influence how you want to set your KPIs.
1: Yeah, in any case, it's great that you are thinking about like the downstream impacts of content and SEO to the actual business and not just setting like a KPI on traffic, which, Companies will often do, but yeah, like the reason we're building this channel is to ultimately like drive revenue or you know new subscriptions or new sales leads. And and I mean at Wayfair, like I know you haven't been there in a number of years, but like fifty percent of uh, the marketing attributed leads was coming from seo like that must have been like such a great feeling and also like to the rest of the org you must have been like the most valuable team or at least one of the most valuable teams is as just part of the business but then at rippling like given that it's such a new strategy and a new team and function do you find yourself like having to introduce content and seo to the rest of the org like now that you're kind of the new team as, as part of the marketing function?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a great question. And I think I've been very lucky that across all the organizations that I've been working for, leadership has always been really understandable and understanding of um, the values of SEO uh, and, and what we drive for the business. So with Wayfair, the founders and CEO and current presidents of Wayfair actually started out being actually SEO professionals and, and SEO experts. So when they initially launched Wayfair, it wasn't actually wayfair.com, they launched multiple different websites. That target different product verticals. For example, they they had a website called Racks and Stands uh, that sells, you know, just clothing and racks and then TV stands. They have uh, a everything cuckoo cool clocks uh, that sells like you know just clocks that uh, it has a cuckoo design. So they uh, the point I'm make, making here is that they really understand like the the importance of SEO and the importance of it to driving business and driving uh, bottom line revenues. So at Wayfair, we place a lot of emphasis on the success of the SEO strategy and the same thing with, with SnapJob as well. And then with Rippling, everything that we've done so far has been really driving a lot of traffic as well as leads to uh, for the SEO program. And then eventually, I think one of the things that we're still trying to figure out is how to really fully understand throughout the funnels how our visitors who came from SEO might interact with other channels that we have on the websites. So it might it might be interesting with with our website, uh, and and really attribute that to whether it is SEO or any other channels. So those are the things that we still have to really like put in place in order to measure that accurately.
1: I did not know that the Wayfair co-founders started out as like niche website builders, <laughs> but that is so interesting to hear. They must be like true SEOs at heart, and uh, it must have been great working with them because they just saw the value in the channel and took it so seriously.
0: Yeah, they, they were niche site builders before it became a, a huge thing, I guess. And I would encourage everyone to to go listen to uh, a, a podcast on how I built this by Guy Rash. One of the episodes, they, they talk in depth about how they built the company, and it was really fascinating just to see how everything was going on.
1: you know you're not a stranger to competitive industries you've spent your entire career doing seo in very competitive industries uh including like software for hr and finance and e-commerce and before that job posting sites and so you're not a stranger to competition and you know one of the questions our customers always ask me is like if it's too competitive should i should i try? Or or is it just too competitive that I can't even get started? And so I guess I'm going to ask you that question. Like, how do you think about competition? Like if we're talking to like a new startup, that's maybe raised like a series A, and they're in like a very competitive space, can they make SEO work, even though it's competitive?
0: Yeah, I think this is a very interesting question that one that I think about often. Is, uh, every time that I come across you know, you know a, a, a new sort of like surf feature, right? Uh, so when I think about comp- competitions in SEO, it's not just competition between you know different players within the industries. So for example, with Wayfair, whether it is Overstock or & Barrel or Amazon, oftentimes Google themselves is also a competitor in that particular vertical, right? And since they are the one control the search engine result page, they have full control over what search feature that they want to introduce, what search feature that you that they want to take away. So oftentimes what I've seen is that a lot of time companies might see reduced clicks from, uh, from from SEO or produce traffic from SEO. Even though they don't see any changes in rankings, uh, the fact is that Google might take away a prominent search feature that was benefiting them. And as a result, they, they lose the clicks from those search features. But then Google might be introducing something that actually will divert those clicks into themselves so when thinking about you know competitions it's not just between players in the market but it's also against you know Google and this is something that I've seen with Wayfair and this is something that I've seen with Snagajob. so so Wayfair, Google introduce uh, you know the, the product listings within the search page they introduce you know the shopping ads which really captures a lot of the, of the visibility of the search pages for, for the keywords that you know uh, e-commerce websites usually trying to rank for and then with job search uh, it's also very interesting situations where they introduced uh, the google for job widget recently is I think it was about like two or three years ago where now if you go search for jobs on Google search instead of being presented right away with all the job searching website there is a little widget that uh, that Google will will gather the clicks from the Google users and then divert it to their own job search engines uh, instead of trying to like pass it down onto different players uh, in the job search industry so I think uh, one of the that I think is important, whether you uh, want to start in SEO uh, within, uh, you know, uh- competitive industry or not, is that at any given point, Google can take away uh, the things that makes your SEO program work. So SEO strategy work, regardless of your size, whether you're a startup or like big companies, you should always be prepared to pivot and make the uh, adaptations or or make the changes that will uh, will help drive your SEO and your business uh, forward.
1: Yeah. And to all the members of Congress listening, I know Nam would be happy to be an expert witness at Google's next antitrust hearing. But yeah, you make a really good point. Like as SEOs, sometimes we forget that like Google has its own business that they very much care about and we are very much operating within their ecosystem. And you make a really interesting point that we're not just competing against other SERP results, but we're competing against Google's own featured snippets or SERP results. And that kind of brings me to a related question that I wasn't sure I was going to ask, but I think it's an interesting one. Is SEO dead? I think I saw someone post on Twitter recently that like SEO is dead or it's going to be dead in five years. Like if someone was to ask you that question, how would you respond to it knowing that like search could be changing or not. I'm not sure. Like, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I I will say that I hear SEO is dead every other month since I start working in SEO. Right. And here, here we are still here. Uh, so so just aside, I think that when someone say that SEO is dead, I really think that it just means that some people might not be willing to change depending on how Google really evolved and how Google reimagines the search experience for their users. I think uh, a lot of the time when Google introduced new features or new search features or new policy in their uh, ranking app, It will always takes a little while for people to really understand what is the directions that Google search is going towards, and being able to uh, come up with an idea or strategy to really respond to the respond to that uh, directions. Right? I think being an SEO and being in a very very competitive, you know, uh, industry and an ever changing one. Thanks to Google, the successful SEO that I see is always, you know, willing to really uh, continue to learn, willing to, to change based on you know what they see are changing in the market and willing to continue to experiments and see what works and what doesn't. Brings me back to the point I made earlier is that. It's really just about the mindset of always wanting to, you know, get better and really understand more about, you know, how to improve the experience of Google users who landed on your website.
1: A question that I'm always asked by founders is, how do I hire a person to my SEO or content team? And like, what should I look for in that candidate? Because oftentimes for founders, even at like the series B stage or series C stage, like they've never made an SEO or content hire before. And so if you were like the hiring manager, bringing someone onto your team, what would you look for in that candidate, either from like a personality perspective, or like a skill set perspective to, uh, to know that that's like a good candidate you want to bring onto your team?
0: One of the things that I always going to be looking for someone to hire would be somebody with a extreme ownership mindset. And what I meant by extreme ownership is that they uh, never say no. It's not my problem. They will take things and they just run with it. And they're always going to be, you know, heavily invested in uh, making things work or the success of, of your business. The second thing that I, I, I really care about when I look to hire someone is that uh, I want to make sure that that person has, you know, some analytical skill sets. As you also aware, there's so many data, so much data to work with, to dive. To manipulate, to understand in SEO, there's clicks, impressions, there's log files. So being able to really navigate all these different data sources and understand like how data works is an extremely helpful asset that I think uh, every, anybody uh, works in SEO should possess. And then you know the last thing is just you know uh, extreme curiosity as well. Google always is always changing, so I want somebody who is willing to change with Google and who's willing to continue to iterate and then explore things that might be unconventional,s but might be the way that to propel their seo program
1: yeah your point on curiosity really resonates with me i found that like for the seos and content marketers that have worked on my team and just also other seos and content marketers that i know are really good they come from like non-traditional backgrounds. Like sometimes they're engineers or possibly have gotten a degree in something that's not at all related to marketing, but they they are tending to be like very curious people. Like they always want to learn. There's always something new that they could try and experiment with. And what you said there really resonated with me and and I know it like the companies and teams you've worked on, like these are fairly large organizations. I'm not sure who's bigger now, like Wayfair or Rippling. I'd probably guess it It's way fair, but I'm not sure. You've worked on some big orgs. Do you find that like SEO and content marketing is a very cross-functional part of the business? Like, do you find yourself talking with like the paid ads team or the product marketing team or the sales team like pretty regularly today at your role rippling or or in in past roles
0: yeah i would say when when we talk about you know different sort of like marketing channels collaborations i wouldn't say that is something that we sit with uh or like you know talk to every single week uh but definitely something that we always want to collaborate and then you know brainstorm on ideas uh maybe once a month what i've found is that a lot of time different channels has different levers that works for them different messaging that resonates to people uh, who are we targeting on Uh, platform right so with rippling or with wayfair uh, we have really good folks who works on other channels like paid social or paid search And what I have found that could really be really helpful is the messaging from say LinkedIn, for example, or from Facebook, you should always see if there's an opportunity to test that messaging on on SEO as well, because essentially you are targeting the same ICPs, you're targeting the same people who are resonating with the messaging that that you are putting out. So anything that is uh, live on your page social, you should, you know, try testing it on SEO and vice versa.
1: As far as creating content goes, like is that something that is handled internally at Rippling or do you guys rely on like a team of freelance writers to work with how do you actually create content day to day
0: yeah we have a i got to say pretty small SEO team. The, the the only SEO lead is me and I work with a content lead who's incredible and a content strategist who's also very smart uh, who joined recently to help us out with you know briefing and really driving the content strategy outside of just SEO. So we also have a team of freelance writers, contractors who we work with. Some of them are on returners, some of them are on like a one off basis. I really sort of like just rely and trust just my content lead and content strategies to manage the writers in terms of resources in terms of timelines and then so that i can fully uh you know focus on coming up with the strategy coming up with the content angles coming up with coverage that we want to go after that's how uh, the content uh, or seo team at Rippling is positioned
1: heck yeah and it's It's been such a good episode so far. And I've really enjoyed having this conversation today. If it's okay with you, could we jump into like a quick rapid fire round where I'm going to ask you like five or six questions uh, and you can tell me what you think? Let's do it. I have got at least seven questions here. So more than my normal five or six. And my first question is on backlinks. Do they matter? Like, is it something you think about on a daily basis?
0: I used to not think about it as much when I was at, at Wayfair or Snap job, since they was pretty well established and there's always a lot of natural linking uh, back linking opportunities. I've been thinking about that a lot more with with Rippling in particular, uh, being in a very competitive uh, market with other incumbents, and I think it does matter. Uh, it does move the needles when everything else is equal, and we don't engage in any. Agency who builds links for us, we do manually reach ourselves and really just trying to identify partners who you know share the same values and who might have relevant and complementing uh, content that we can you know, offer to link out to. So for us, it has been working out really well and expect us to really slow down in that aspect
1: anytime soon. Internal links. Do internal links matter? Is that something you think about? Yeah,
0: I definitely think that internal link matters. I think there are three main reasons when I think about internal linking. One is that it goes back to that User experience uh, values and delighting the users. So when you implement good interlinking, first and foremost, you're helping users navigate through your website. The second thing is, I think interlinking also really helps with content and page discoverability, and this is especially important with website, uh, large scale website like Wayfair or SnackJob where there's millions and millions of pages. So being able to really show and, and help Googlebot understand what pages we have and our internal linking structure was really crucial. And, and I think that the last thing is just that it really just signaled to Googlebot the importance of different pages and different content on our website, right? What content we want them to focus the most more, what content we want them to crawl as, as much as possible, things of the nature. So definitely very important.
1: AI-generated content, should we be using it? Is it a good part or a good tool to our content creation strategy?
0: Yeah, I think that's a question that really plagues a lot of people. And I think the way that I've been looking at it is that I don't want to think about it as an AI-generated content. I think about it as an AI-assisted content. And uh, here at Rippling, we actually don't shy away from the use of AI. We encourage our writers as part of their research and as part of their writing if using AI helps them really do research faster, if it helps them write certain things faster, then by all means, we would encourage them to do that. What we want them to make sure to do is that to verify the accuracy and verify the integrity of the contents that being, uh, all, all the things that are being pushed out by, by AI, ChatGPT or any other tools. And we always, every single content piece has a human writer writing and managing and editing. Like I said, is AI-assisted content. It's not AI-generated.
1: E-E. Expertise, experience, authoritiveness, trustworthiness, does it matter? Is that something you're thinking about?
0: Uh, not something that I have really focused on or think about as much as I thought I, I would. I think with a lot of website that focus on things that is super important, or like your uh, your life and your money type contents or websites where you know any, any content that you push uh, that you put out has some implications in terms of like, maybe somebody else or somebody finance, I think those are extremely important when it comes to EEAT For a lot of other not your money, your life um, websites, I don't think it really matter as much.
1: What is one thing that you see like, in the SEO space or the content marketing space that you see teams doing that's either just a waste of time or, or something we really shouldn't be thinking about?
0: I've said there are things that I think is probably a waste of time at this point. There's a very few of them, because like I said, uh, I think uh, if you have the ability and you have time to do so, you should test out every theory you ever have about SEO. But there's one specific thing that I think is definitely a waste of time and it will be a mistake uh, if you continue to do it, is essentially showing your sitemaps in the robots.txt file. And there's a few reasons for it. One is that, Google makes it very easy to submit sitemaps to them these days. There's no point in including it in the robots.txt file. And second thing is by including the sitemap in the robots.txt file, you are essentially revealing to your competitors what pages you have, uh, what contents you have, and essentially can actually signals to them What are the strategy that you were trying to go after? So all downside, no upside. I would not do that.
1: San Francisco. You've just moved to San Francisco. And I'm going to be in San Francisco in about like a month and a half from now. Where should I eat? Like, what's your favorite restaurant you've been to so far?
0: Yeah, so I think San Francisco has an incredible food scene. Uh, There's no shortage of food for you to try from different cultures, different ethnicity. Uh, What I have found uh, that is particularly really good about San Francisco is uh, the Mexican food. Uh, We didn't have the same level of quality back in Boston. So I've just been really indulging myself in a lot of burritos in the missions.
1: Is there one place that you really recommend we try? Yeah, I will
0: recommend El Techo. Uh, It's uh, a Mexican restaurant in the missions, incredible views, and incredible food.
1: Heck yeah, we are going to give it a try. i take you there. Well, Nam, thank you so much for coming on the episode. You've built a backlink from us today. So we're going to link over to the Rippling site in the show notes as well as to your LinkedIn. And so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? No, I
0: think if there is one thing that you want to take away from this episode, it is always learning, always, you know, uh, testing, always experimenting and uh, extreme ownership is what really drives uh, drives your program forward.
1: This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what Positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out.